I we'll invite you all to uh, turn with me now in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel. It's the uh, ninth book of the Old uh, Testament. If you don't have a Bible handy, there's uh, generally some at the end of the aisle in the pews there that you can grab. It's right after the book of Judges and right before First and Second uh, Kings. And we took a, a breather from it uh, last week for our Easter uh, service and then are returning to this series this week that we've been going through. And so we're in First Samuel 10 this week. We're not going to read all of, of that chapter, just some selected verses. But uh, as you turn there again, we're we're not only sort of in the middle of this book, but we're in the middle of a series of events which involved God overseeing this process of establishing a king for the Old Testament people of God. We saw several chapters earlier, this momentous point where the people kind of demand a king. And we'll see again this uh, week that their motives weren't necessarily uh, pure in wanting a king. They really wanted to be like folks around them and have that power for themselves of having a king's sense of power rather than really trusting God to provide a king. But God's been gracious. He's going to draw a straight line with crooked sticks. So he's uh, he's overseeing all of this. And and then we saw in a chapter we looked at, I guess, now two weeks ago that Saul sets out this guy, Saul, and, and he just thinks he's going to look for some lost livestock for his dad that sends him out to go look for these donkeys. But lo and behold, God is already. Uh, signaled to Samuel, one of the main prophets and leaders of God's people that kind of bridges between the judges and the kings, uh, that Samuel was made aware, hey, this person's going to be coming to you and be prepared to anoint and acknowledge this individual as the king over the Old Testament people of God. Today, we're going to read, as you'll see in our verses, the actual event of the anointing and then this sort of selection process of recognizing that anointing. And then uh, next week, in in, uh, some fashion, as we look at chapter 11, we'll see the public acclamation of that king being selected. So you see the picture over these, you know, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11. It's all related, in a sense, to this idea of there being a king and the kingship of the Old Testament people of God. In our immediate context today, let me just set it up for you before we dive in with the first verse of chapter 10. Uh, Again, Saul's gone out looking for these donkeys. He comes to this place where Samuel is dwelling. They say, hey, you might want to get some help. This guy's a a holy man, a man of God, Samuel. He might be help, you know, go to the pastors. See if he can pray and help you with that. See what he can do. And so he comes looking for these donkeys and gets more than he bargained for. Uh, Samuel, in fact, says to Saul, you're going to be the one that's going to serve as a king. And uh, and he tells Saul to kind of hold up just a minute and let his, you know, his associate go on ahead so that they can have this time of anointing. That brings us to the beginning of chapter 10. I'll read it aloud as you read along uh, silently and we'll just bop through some selected verses in this chapter. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head. And kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. 
And then jumping down to verse 5, we see that Samuel has described a series of events that are going to kind of confirm this. The, the pinnacle, there's three of them, but the pinnacle of which is, is what we read about in verse uh, 5 through 8 or so. It says, after that you shall come, he's talking to Saul still, to Gibeath Elohim, where there's a garrison of the Philistines. The Philistines were their uh, enemies. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you'll prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now, when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I'm coming to you to offer burnt offerings and a sacrifice, peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. And these events that are described begin to happen. And we look down at verse 14 now. So these prophets have come down. Saul's done this thing of being drawn up into this group of people that are prophesying. We'll explain that in a minute. And then verse 14. Saul's uncle said to him, he's gone back home now. Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, where did you go? And he said to seek the donkeys. And when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, Saul did not tell him Anything. And then read with me on through the end of the chapter, starting in verse 17. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. He said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, brought you up out of Egypt. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you've rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and distresses. And you've said to him, Set a king over us. Now therefore... Present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near. The tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by clans. And the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, Is there a man still to come? The Lord said, Behold. He has hidden himself among the baggage. And they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any other people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There's none like him among all the people. All the people shouted, long live the king. And Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship. He wrote them down in a book laid up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away to his home. So Saul also went to his home in Gibeah. And with him went the men of valor whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised Saul and brought him no present. But he held his peace. Let's pray together. Father, we... Thank you for your word. We ask that you would minister to us through it. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, this past Friday, whether you or I realized it or not, marked the 103rd anniversary of that fateful day in 1912 when the massive passenger ship, appropriately but also ironically named the Titanic, uh, departed for its maiden voyage. As we probably all know, both that voyage and that ship lasted a total of five days. By April 14th at 11.40, it was struck by an iceberg. The hull was breached and it began to take on water by early the next morning on the 15th. As we know, it had sunk, uh, taking with it all but 705 of the 2,400 or so passengers on board. As we look today at our passage about the kingship, if you'll forgive the analogy, of Israel, it's beginning to set sail with great fanfare as the Titanic itself went out as well. But just like those first few fateful days of the Titanic revealed problems below the surface, so too We see this in the character flaws of Saul and what it means for the Old Testament kingship and how all of this points us ultimately forward to the beauty of of Christ. Of Christ, the true vessel in which we can place our hope and trust. And so if you want to follow along with me, you can turn in your worship guide to the notes section at the end of the uh, worship guide. And it, it just highlights it this way for us. Our main idea being that as God's anointed king takes his maiden voyage, this person Saul, and the whole of his character is already leaking, we can, through studying this, learning this, understanding it, learn to sail, learn to sail with our true king, Jesus As we saw again a couple of weeks ago in chapter 8, we saw there's there's great temptation that's being identified. It's highlighted again here of the people of God wanting a king and trying to trust in in government, whether we believe that government can provide for us military strength or some sort of social services or benefit or protection, that ultimately God is the one that we should trust in. And, of course, God still gives that government to us in a God-ordained way. And so we see even in this passage, God is allowing those things to play out, to seek to bless his people. Uh, Chapter 9, we saw a few weeks ago the incredible parallel, really, between uh, Saul coming in and and beginning to uh, be identified as this king and the Lord Jesus coming into Jerusalem on that triumphal day of entry. And we saw, of course, the contrast there beginning to be displayed that that Saul comes and receives. Jesus comes to give, to bless, to pour out himself for us. And all of this is a reminder to to have our desires elevated for the person and work of Christ. To have a greater picture of that and have it move and work in our lives in a transforming way. That ultimately this book, and especially in this first Samuel section where it speaks of kings, is a precursor, an archetype, a foreshadowing of one true king to come, the Lord Jesus. 
So that's where we are, big picture, our context. And we come in then to these verses and and see that beginning to be displayed. So first, let's look at the things here that show us Christ. That show us Christ in the foreshadowing, the precursor of it. Look with me again at that verse uh, 1 of chapter 10. In 1 Samuel, he takes a, a flask of oil and he pours it on the new king's head. Boy, this probably brings to mind a picture from the New Testament, doesn't it? Of that amazing episode where the woman comes and she takes that oil, that expensive oil, and she comes to the feet of Jesus and she's in a worshipful mindset. She recognizes he's uh, he offers forgiveness. He offers freedom from sin, all these blessings he gives. And she takes her her hair and is literally uh, anointing his feet with this oil and, and recognizing his greatness. Saul, we see, is being anointed as king just as Jesus was anointed in that unique way by that woman who recognized him. We see the, the, the uh, person Samuel uh, greeting him, embracing the kingship of Saul, even though we know Samuel's not really a fan of this whole program, but he gives him a kiss. Our minds are immediately drawn, our hearts drawn to uh, Psalm chapter 2. If you want to turn there quickly, you you can. Psalm chapter 2, starting at verse 10 and going through uh, verse 12, where we read this about the description of, of Jesus ultimately as our king, but tied to the Old Testament kingship. It says, Now therefore, O kings of the world, be wise, be warned, rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Already we see this idea that the the king should be embraced. Even Saul, with all his foibles and failings that we're going to read about even today and read about in the weeks to come, that this is pointing forward to the fact that the, the king ordained by God, the ultimate one, Christ, Is one we ought to seek refuge in. We ought to kiss. We ought to receive him. We ought to turn to him in love and embrace. Verse 1 is already pointing ahead to Christ. Then we look at verse 6 back in 1 Samuel. Turn back there with me. 1 Samuel chapter 10. We see in verse 6 this interesting experience. We'll talk about these prophets in a minute. But let's highlight one key focus of it. It says, then the spirit of the Lord will rush upon you. That's really interesting wording in there, because the place where we see that wording most uh, right before this context in Scripture is the book of Judges. A couple of passages I'll just uh, mention for you. Chapter three, verse 10 in Judges, chapter six, verse 34, chapter 11, verse 29. All use the same kind of language, but not exactly the same wording. None of them uses the word rushed. Talks about the spirit coming on. Only one passage in Judges uses this almost exact wording. The idea of the spirit rushing on someone. And guess which of the judges it was with? Chapter 14. Samson. What do we know Samson for? Mixed bag, right? (laughs) The the whole package. You've got to take into account the whole package. Right? The spirit of God was upon him. He did some powerful things for God, but he was also... He wasn't really walking in step with the Lord a good bit of the way. Interesting that the passage talks about the spirit coming on Saul. And we know he's going to do great things, but we know he's also going to have great failings. And it describes it in that same way. No accident, I'm sure, in God's word. 
But here's what's even more powerful. Uh, turn with me, if you want to, again, over to another passage. We won't, we won't have you do this too many more times. But John chapter 1 in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, fourth book in the New Testament. Chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist is greeting Jesus coming into his earthly ministry. It says, the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's going to be offered up. He's going to be a righteous sacrifice for you and me. And then listen to verse 32 of John chapter 1. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. And it remained on Him. Spirit rushed on to Jesus as well. To have Him fulfill that perfect kingship for us. So two precursors, the anointing, the Holy Spirit coming. And then this look back with me at first uh, Samuel. And then we'll mention at least one concluding uh, point or application point from from all this. Uh, First Samuel, chapter 10, looking back there again, and we can start seeing this in verse five through eight. But we also see it on down through verse 13. These prophets, these group of prophets that Saul is joining up with it's kind of a weird thing i don't know who you know the rest of y'all we can kind of get the anointing thing and we can even get the you know giving him a kiss recognizing his greatness and we understand the idea that the spirit had to be upon him but what's up with this group of band of prophets that he's supposed to go and meet again it's just one of these signs that's kind of confirming his his kingship but 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 the reality was there's these Old Testament groups that before you get to Isaiah and Malachi and these folks that have written some of the books of the Bible that we know sort of formal prophets, I guess you'd say there's this group of prophets going around. And I don't know how we describe them. They'd be like a, a, a monastic choir or something, right? Because they're singing songs. It says that they come with all these instruments. It, it'll help us to remember that prophesying biblically, you know, we think about it, you know, someone who is a prophet is predicting the future. And they, they, they did that on occasion. But the bulk of what they did was what we would call a forth telling, not so much foretelling. They told forth God's word. For their specific situation. They made application of God's word to what's going on. All that to say that there's this group of folks and Saul is connecting up with them. And I think this is amazing. Again, you look at the connections between what's happening with Saul and the kingship of Christ. And I I will tell you, I did not plan this. I mean, I, I picked out the passage for Easter Sunday, you know, a couple of weeks ago, not months ago when we were planning the Samuel series. And you don't need to turn there. The last week we preached, we went through the road to Emmaus and we saw the disciples coming along and Jesus greets them. They don't know who Jesus is. And they, Jesus asked them kind of, you know, you tell me, tell me who I am, because they haven't figured out that they're standing right with them. And do you remember one of the first things that they said to Jesus was about him? They said, we know this man, Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in word and deed. We see already in the Old Testament this King Saul being drawn up into these prophets as one who's going to, you know, uplift and uphold the word of God. And there's a powerful reference point to Christ. What does all of this tell us? That again, as we see the sort of, you know, christening, breaking of that wine bottle on the, the, the front of the ship of Saul's kingship as it's beginning to sail out. We see a a, a beautiful looking ahead 
to the vessel of Christ's heavenly lordship, heavenly kingship being pointed towards. And our eyes are meant to be lifted up to Christ and how he would ultimately fulfill that. And it's so important that Christ would fulfill it when we turn the corner now and look at some of the ways that the whole of Saul's kingship has already been breached and he's already taking on water. Did you see it when we were reading through these verses? Maybe you noticed it as well. It's always peculiar when Scripture mentions stuff and you're like, you know, why, why is that there? You know, sometimes the critical eye would say, oh, there must be something wrong with God's word or, you know, this wasn't God's word. It was just man's word. But then you start to take a look at it and you realize, oh, that actually makes really good sense. That has huge applications. So take a look back at 1 Samuel chapter 10 and let's let's see why it is that we need this perfect and righteous and glorious King Christ to come and fulfill where all these Old Testament kings are lacking. The ship is just beginning to sail of the human kingship and it's already taking on water. Look at verse 14 to 16. Saul comes home. His uncle greets him. He asks him what's been going on now. I suppose you can say that he thought this was a private matter. Maybe I guess you could argue that because Samuel sort of did this anointing with him privately. But but the scripture makes a point to mention to us that when his uncle asks Saul what he's been up to. All that Saul says was that he got the donkeys back. He's just been told that he's going to be the king of Israel, that this whole new kingship thing is going to be established. And he's at the point of it. And he doesn't say a word about it to his own uncle. Okay? Weird thing number one. There you go. Weird thing number two. This one you probably picked up on. More obvious. In verse 22. They're having this whole thing to, like, cast these lots. And they recognize, okay, we got the whole group of people. So it'd be like if we had this whole thing. And then we, you know, God identified, it's in this section. That's where the new person to put out the communion is going to come from. Right in this section. And then it goes, and up that guy right there. That's the one. But he's not there. He's out hiding behind those boxes of school books out in the foyer, right? Weird. What's going on there? So, strange thing number two. Strange thing number three. And this one, you know, I don't know, maybe it's a reach, but I think, I think it's there. Verse 27. These worthless fellows say something degrading against Saul. Who's not just Saul anymore. He's now the king of Israel. And he doesn't do anything about it. Interesting. Let me try to set it up and see if we can't draw some real helpful application for you and me today from this. Here's the deal. If you and I are confident in Christ and who we are called to be as a person, if we understand our identity as a child of God, that we've been purchased and brought into his family, that we're special because of his love, that we've been called by him for certain purpose and plan that he has for us in our life, that, that we can have his power rather than our own, then people of God will be humble, hopefully, but we'll also be confident. We'll be loving to others around us, but we'll also be resolute in who we are. We'll be proud, but we'll be proud in God's working in our lives. And when we piece all of this together, we see folks that Saul is not putting his confidence in God. 
He doesn't know how to do it. It doesn't appear. The issue with the uncle, you know, who are the people who know our faults and foibles the best? Family members. They see us back in the hometown, back with the home people. And he comes back and God's going to use God's intention is to use Saul. But Saul doesn't believe it can happen. He knows his uncle's going to think it's ridiculous, probably. So he doesn't say anything about it because he's not taking confidence in what God is going to do or can do. The issue with the baggage is even more clear, right? He's a, a, a head taller than everybody else. He looks the part. He can handle, it seems, the physical ability to go fight. They proclaim him, long live the king. What an irony. When the guy won't even stand up at his own kind of inauguration thing because he's, he's afraid. You know, we all know it. We, we realize folks around us that are kind of overconfident. And they exhibit a sort of brash arrogance. And, and we know probably that there's that's a lack of trust in God and really relying on God. But boy, the flip side can be so true for so many of us, can't it? We don't believe God can do anything with us because we're just as prideful. We just use it as the other side of the coin. I've got to do it myself and I know I can't do it in my own power. So I'm going to hide from it. I'll tuck myself away and that way I won't have to be called up. Understand? You see the picture here? It's, it's really dramatic. Now, maybe there's some here in our midst, and I know there are, who you know, are stepping forward to kind of start that Bible study at your office workplace and see where God would lead. Or, or maybe serve in a specific area in the community where you want to just kind of be a light for Christ in the PTO or with the, the uh, team for your, your uh, child that's involved or a group that they're participating in. Or maybe teaching in something like Sunday school. That's like fighting a battle back there, isn't it? <laughs> that's like being against the Philistines sometimes. Uh, or maybe running for some office or serving in some way. And, and hopefully there are people here that we're recognizing, you know, in and of myself, I really don't have much ability to do this. And I'm really scared of it. I really don't think I can take this step of faith. I'm not sure I'm like Peter and can really step out of that boat. But we're, we're beginning to learn to trust in God's power. Hopefully that's happening with Saul's. Not seeing it yet. And we see it highlighted in this very last part as I come to a conclusion here. In that verse 27 as well. You know, here's the deal. These, these folks are mocking him. And again, I don't know, maybe it's a stretch. It says he holds, holds his peace. You know, for somebody who's truly confident in who God is and they're holding their peace, well, that, that just means they're resting in God. Like, I don't have to deal with these guys. I don't have to worry about them because God's got my back. I don't think that's what's going on here. He's even got together these band of other folks that are already following him. But but he doesn't really believe in who he is as the king. And so he's not uh, disturbed or bothered by these folks. Whereas as the king, not in and of himself, but as the king, he ought to be upset that people are mocking what God is doing. He ought to be concerned about that and deal with it in some way. But he just stands by. He's passive. He's hiding. He's not telling his uncle what's going on. Folks, uh, it's interesting to see what changes and what happens when we have confidence as uh, as God calls us to be used. Uh, I'll just make this uh, application point, two final application points. One, a lot of you all here probably oversee somebody in your life. 
maybe you're a mom and your primary overseeing is at home or you oversee some clubs or some teams or groups that your children are involved. Uh, maybe you're a mom and you're out in the workplace and you oversee a team there. Uh, maybe, uh, men, you oversee some folks in your work area. You've got some folks you supervise. I thought it was interesting, this comparison I found between somebody who's confident in God as a leader versus somebody that's only confident in themselves. Uh, this person that's only confident in themselves will just call the boss. Listen to this. The boss drives employees. The leader coaches them. The boss depends on authority. The leader capitalizes on goodwill. The boss inspires fear. The leader generates enthusiasm. The boss says I. The leader says we. The boss places blame for the breakdown. The leader fixes the breakdown. The boss knows how it's done. The leader shows how it's done. The boss uses people. The leader develops people. The boss takes credit. The leader gives credit. The boss commands. The leader asks. The boss says go. The leader says let's go. All right. You see how that changes? If we in whatever our calling is have confidence in who we are in God, it really changes the way we interact with other people. Young people. Folks that are here, we got third graders, fourth graders, fifth graders. We we tracking right here. Sixth graders, seventh graders. This plays out in a huge way in your lives. Having confidence in who God is and your identity. How else are you going to be able to love others around you as Christ calls you to love? Step out of that group of peers that you've got and your friends and reach that child that's maybe not as, as lovable. or doesn't seem as lovable to other people and show Jesus that way. Only way we do that. Is by having power in who we are in Christ, understanding our identity. Otherwise, our tendency is to want to hide, stay protected, because we may not be brash and bold and arrogant in our pride, but we're still just as prideful. We're relying on ourselves and our own strength, and we're not taking confidence in God to serve and be used in the way that He calls us. It's a powerful, powerful message here. As we've seen, God's anointed King takes this maiden voyage and it points forward to beautiful things about Christ and his perfect kingship. At the same time, this first king saw his character is leaking. And all of this, folks, reminds us of how in our lives we've got the privilege of being able to sail with the true king, the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we uh, praise you that we can place full confidence in you. And your scriptures tell us that through Christ, through faith and repentance and turning to him, that we can have a new identity. We can be new people and be new people in a real and deep way such that the spirit comes upon us and that we are deeply changed in our reliance. We no longer rely upon ourselves. And so, Lord, we're not brash and boastful in ourselves We're boastful if we're going to boast in you. And, Lord, we're able to seek to do things to step out of the boat and seek to walk on water because we know you've got our back more than that. You're guiding our footsteps. Lord, help us to see that. Lord, help those who are maybe sitting on the sidelines. Maybe it's with a kids camp coming up in a month. There's a lot of folks we're going to need to help with that. Maybe there's folks that are saying, well, I'll just stay on the sidelines, but have gifts to be used to impact hundreds of kids in our community. Wherever it might be, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to step out in faith because we know who you are, to have confidence in you for your glory, we pray, and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.